0: Hey, St. Paul, and welcome to our next episode on our study on Brennan Manning's book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Tommy, this book has certainly been one of those books that has penetrated my soul. As I've just looked at the subtitle, it's for those, the good news for the bedraggled and the the burnt out. Um, What it has revealed to me is that maybe I have been bedraggled, maybe I have been burnt out, and I have let my own abilities and what I have seen as my own, um, my own uh, accolades uh, to be what brings me to God's table or to be accepted into God's family. And here we get to chapter 10 and find out that uh, there's this wonderful reminder that it's not about what I bring. It's not about my uh, accolades. There, there's a little bit of, of tension with that, and there's certainly a lot of freedom
1: when it comes to believing that. So true, John. One of the things that Brendan Manning does so well in this book is he cuts to the chase of what the gospel is all about. And if you really think about, who did Jesus spend most of his time with? With his disciples. That's right. But who else? With his heavenly father.
0: Who else? I'm stumped. Bedraggled. Ah, yes. The marginalized. The marginalized. The ones who were pushed to the
1: margins, yes. The outcasts. Not the elite. No. Not the elite. The elite he had problems with. Allah of the Pharisees. And I think that Manning cuts to the chase on this, that the gospel is not only for the elite, but it's for the ragmuffins, the sinners of the world, and the elite are sinners. You know, seeing myself, Tommy, through the lens of
0: what Brendan Manning describes as a ragamuffin, through that that lens has really helped me to get a clear view of the way God
1: sees me. How about you? There is no way that we can change unless we know thyself until we come to the point that we know who we truly are. All our sinful past, everything, we tend to defend that by masking over what has happened in the past, which we can do nothing about except Acknowledge that and ask for forgiveness. Right. But until we come to the realization who we really are, then it's going to be very difficult for us to allow God to transform us. So is that when we as
0: Christians experience what the uh, Christian writers and even what the scriptures allude to as the victorious life in Christ
1: that's right but again he points out that the victorious life in christ is not what we think it is and you look at the beginning of this book when he talks about the the cultural differences uh, in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s with the with the with the african americans and how they were treated And even go a step further how about the Indians right so they're all God's children so we we have to understand that we have to see them as God's children and they're still a part of that and in the 30s 40s and 50s and 60s and even into the 70s that wasn't the case especially in the South it wasn't the case and I hope and pray that that day will come when we will recognize that we are rag muffins and that we accept others as they are. Because think about it. Who are we
0: to judge? I love what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, that the hope of glory, the hope of the Christian life, is christ in you it's christ in us and in that prepositional hey. phrase that that paul uses is christ is in you he could have said it's christ and you right he right. could have said the the hope or the The hope of glory or the victorious Christian life is Christ and you, as if you are this tag team, you and Christ. You do your part and Christ does his part. But no, it is Christ in you. And this is counterintuitive to what Brendan Manning brings out here at the beginning of this chapter uh, when he says that the, the victorious Christian life, what it looks like is not blue skies or birds singing, rather according to him brendan manning it is described more as this victorious limp and as he goes through this chapter he brings out peter and what you referred to in our uh, unfortunate earlier history of of uh, um, the 1920s and 30s through through even present day um, that that through these moments there is still uh glimpses of god's grace especially when he gets to Peter. Remember when he mentions Peter? Peter's told that he's going to deny Jesus three times. And what does Jesus, uh, what is, how does Peter respond to that? I will never do that, I, I will mean, die with you. Yes, I'll die with you. And if we just kind of you know, stop the camera for just a second, and look to the audience, the people who are watching and say, what do you think about Peter? Oh, he's so bold. I am so proud of Peter. He's doing such a great job for the kingdom. No, you know, I'm not surprised that Jesus said upon him, he will build his church. He's not, he's now rock, right? Everyone would say way to go, Peter. Yet just a few hours later, Peter's in the courtyard of Caiaphas uh, the high priest his his court and a little uh, slave girl comes and points him out and says aren't you and there's the third time that Peter denies now later on in his life if if, rather if you would have stopped then and said okay let's let's ask the audience what's going on here what do you think of Peter now oh he's a loser he's but where would Peter later in his life have celebrated? Would it have been the part where he said, no, I'm going to go to the cross for you or I'll die alongside of you. I'll never let that happen, Christ. I'll never let you, let you die. Or would he celebrate that moment where he was exposed and yet after that remained faithful? Yes. I would think it would be the latter part.
1: Absolutely. He, he's, he's thankful for the slave girl that pointed out his, right. his, his, his uh, deficiencies there. I go back to that moment again uh, when we were in Israel, standing outside of that uh, Caiaphas' uh, courtyard. Yeah, I remember that. And there's a statue of that little girl, of that little slave girl. And you just reflect on that moment in time many, many centuries ago, and there Peter was, being exposed. And you're right, he was thankful for her instead of trying to mount a defense about what he did. Peter had built his entire
0: relationship with Jesus prior to the resurrection on his assumed capacity to be good enough. And aren't we the same? Way? Yes. And, and and this is the way many of us approach Christ. And this is the entry point for many of us to become bedraggled and burnt out, <clears throat> to believe that it rises and falls on our own, um, on our own, uh, shoulders. You see, Peter had built his, that whole relationship. And, and the problem in Peter's mind, according to Brennan, and I love this, is that he believed that his relationship was dependent on his consistency in producing uh, the qualities that he, and that he thought he had earned or had to earn uh, for himself, the Lord's approval. And what better way, what better way to, uh, to live in your own dependencies or believe in your own abilities and to believe that you have to earn God's approval than to say with your mouth, never will I go uh, deny you. I will go to the cross. And this is what many of us do. Th- this is we project into um, our relationship with God our own measured uh, standard of acceptance. We, we, we think mm-hmm. that God has is waiting for us to to be something or fulfill some prere- prerequisites before He actually accepts us. And that's so backwards. Where do we get that? Wh- wh- where do we get that notion? In our, in our lives, children grow up thinking that they have to earn their parents' love. I, I, don't, I don't
1: understand that. John, he mentions also that uh, we try to live so that he will love us instead of living because he has
0: already loved us. How transformational would that be, Tommy? Wow! I mean, just for the just for the next couple of days, if those if if the two of us around this table and those who are listening to us, no matter where they are, what transformation would happen if we just leaned into that—that that, um, not trying to get God to love us, but to live in the reality that God is already that Christ already loves us.
1: Absolutely, and that, that to me is the, the age-old question of acceptance. Renew your mind, accept the grace of God. Don't water down the grace of God, because no matter what we do, no what, matter what, what we have done or will do, grace is paramount to that. And that's a gift, and that's an offering from God. And we need to stop living just like you said. We need to, to come to some realization that we must live according to the grace of God and live with a mindset that we're forgiven. It's already been paid for. We don't have to do anything. Just accept it and believe and enjoy life throughout scripture what does the bible say rejoice live in joy and there's paul
0: to the church in philippi writing yeah rejoice in the lord and dare i say it again rejoice and as he's in his uh in his chains in his house arrest which brings me to what you just said about repentance and forgiveness. He writes here and I and I I've ha- I have this double underlined highlighted several different ways because this really caused me caused me to stop in as I was reading this book. He says the gospel of grace announces forgiveness precedes repentance. And and it's it's profound. Yeah. It's profound. I I approach many of my relationships that forgiveness comes after repentance. No, I mean, seriously, why should yeah. I forgive someone until they ask for it, right? Yeah, right. Why should I expect someone to forgive me if I haven't asked for it? This, is, this can cause a limp, if you will, using his terminology in many relationships. But what would the difference be if we turned that around with our relationships and we thought, I'm going to forgive them before they even ask, before they even repent? What does that do for the one who is wrong? If I'm wronged by someone or I wrong someone else, what does that do inside of me when it comes to my uh, what drives me, anger, frustration, um, pride? I didn't deserve that or I deserved more or whatnot. And and so it's understandable that we would approach relationships with our relationship with God in the same way. God is waiting for us to ask for forgiveness before he repents or before he forgives. He's waiting for us to <clears throat> repent from our evil ways before he forgives. But this, this is not the way it is. This is profound. I really, I, this was one of those stopping moments, Tommy, that forgiveness from the lord precedes repentance which makes that romans 8 passage sure romans 5 8 rather but while we were yet sinners god demonstrated his love in this way christ died for us it's already been paid for it's already been paid for the forgiveness the debt has already been paid for then why am i why am i so downcast why not me personally but we as christians why are our
1: heads so down john why? john i think you just mentioned a word that i think we need to understand and ask ourselves the question and the word is why yes w h y why why do we why do we feel this way Why do we think this way? Why do we do things the way we do? Why not change our paradigm? And Paul, I go back to this passage uh, that Paul, renew your minds. You're not of the world. You live in the world, but you're not of the world. You're in the kingdom of God and come to the realization that you're free. Hmm. That is
0: freedom. I, I truly believe that we
1: have no idea how deep the love of God is for us. We can't. I don't know in our minds that we can wrap our arms around the love of God you know he wants us to come to him more than we want to go to him and he's ready and willing to receive us more than we are ready
0: to be received Right. do you know that picture that Luke gives us of one of the uh, parables of Jesus was the parable of the prodigal son what what a beautiful, beautiful picture of, of who God is, the Father is in Luke chapter 15. Brennan's favorite verse in the Bible is the Father's response in verse 20 of Luke chapter 15. While he, the boy, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and he ran to the boy clasped him in his arms, and kissed him. The father didn't cross-examine him, he didn't bully him, he didn't lecture him. Before he asked for forgiveness, the father
1: had forgiven him. Great point, and he didn't have to think about it. Although the boy rehearsed what he would
0: say. The boy had a speech, the prodigal son had a speech, he came to his senses in the pigsty. He came to his senses and and said, now, which one of my father's hired hands has it better than I? Maybe I could just go back and I would imagine no matter, I don't know how far he was away, but how long was that journey that he had to take and um, to go from where he was to his father? How many times did he rehearse that speech in his mind, the prodigal son? And while he was yet still a while, far away off, the father comes and runs to him, clasps him, and the boy does not get a word in edgewise.
1: Never speaks one word of that rehearsed speech. Never. Never. And I would encourage our listeners and anyone to read that chapter in Luke because it's so spot on. In our society today. We have so many problems in society with especially young, young people, leaving home, doing things that they shouldn't do, and so many times we try to rescue them not with open arms but with conditions. And that's the significance of love, to accept one just like they are, as God does us. I dare to say, Tommy, that forgiveness
0: had Mm -hmm. not happened if it's conditional. Exactly. So what say you, those who are listening it seems to me that throughout this chapter, what I see is that the victorious Christian life is embraced, is enveloped, is sourced at the cross and the resurrection. That forgiveness has already taken place. And now to complete that beautiful relationship that God wants, repentance. Repentance, not in the sense that I have to manipulate God; that there are pre prerequisites, but that uh, that that we're encouraged to approach the Father who already has his eyes looking down the road for you. I guess you could say, Tommy, that God just wants us to show up, and while still a ways away, the image that Luke 15 gives us is that our heavenly Father runs. To meet us falls on our neck and kisses us. And even if we don't come back because we could even if we come back because we couldn't make it on our own, God still welcomes us. He doesn't need an explanation. What he's what he's excited about is that we just showed up. So what's what's the delay?
1: A good good question. I think we all have to answer a lot of questions about ourselves. And that brings me to the point of the little word, why. Why did we do the things we do? Why do we uh, fill our lives with business? Why not take the time to get to the blueprint of life, which is the Bible, in chapter 15 of Luke? Just just read that chapter and meditate on it and think about what that really means. The implications
0: are astounding. That's our prayer for those who are listening, Tommy. Is that right? Exactly. And we thank you for joining us today. Um, and continue to pray for us as we, uh, hold those of you who are listening. Um, Uh, in our hearts and our prayers, feel free to reach out to us uh, by email. And um, you can do that by emailing podcast at com. Tommy and I would love to hear from you. Now may the grace of God and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.